0: Yale Sounders, you know who he is. Brian, how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this
2: isn't my quote, I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra.
3: He always says,
1: tough times don't last, tough people do. Hello, and welcome in to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am your host, Mark Kastner, and I'm joined... Ah, uh, today by Jeremiah O'Shan, Dave Clark, and Tim Foss, and uh, the time is upon us. The Sounders preseason has started. Uh, we are we are exactly three weeks away from the start of the Club World Cup, uh, and what what better time to kind of do the big preview show? Uh, so let's kind of kind of get into it. Jeremiah, how are you doing today? You know, I'm pretty
0: good. Uh, I I just came back from training. Uh, beautiful day out at Starfire. stark contrast to the first day I was out there on Saturday. <laughs> so, um, you know,
1: I'm I'm feeling good. When when you say beautiful day, you mean like it's like 33 degrees and not snowing, or you mean it's a little bit more beautiful than
0: no? It was before. like uh, well, it was like uh, I don't know, in the high 40s, probably I would guess, and it was a glorious, almost spring like day. Uh, Yeah, the, it was like we got a nice respite from the from the downpours that we've been uh, getting recently. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, not, you know nothing about
1: any of that, I imagine. I mean, not anymore.
3: <laughs> I, Mark will get a respite
1: in April. Yeah. I dealt with like 15 inches of snow last week. So that's exciting. But uh enough weather chat. It's everybody's favorite small talk to do in the office. Uh, we, we've got to like get kind of down to business here because uh whether you like it or not, the Sounders are uh fully in the swing of preseason. Uh like I mentioned, they have a club World Cup that they have uh to do. We'll kind of talk more in depth about what that tournament means uh in a little bit. But um yeah, we kind of have we kind of want to start this this kind of like off season preseason preview with with the conversations of of where the roster's at kind of kind of do a state of the roster and, and we'll kind of go from there. So uh, where the roster is at right now is, is there was one big addition this, this off season, uh, whether you think it's big or not, is kind of, I guess, uh, the eye of the beholder, but they added a uh, H- her bear. Is that how you say it? Right. He I've Beard. never said it. A bear. I've never he said Beard. it that loud. I've only ever seen it in writing. Uh, I should have practiced that in the mirror a few times. So, uh, that was maybe the biggest addition obviously because i was the only player added to the roster other than some homegrown uh, signings but they also missed out on signing on aaron long which would have made the roster a little bit more interesting i think heading into preseason so um tim do you think that they've they've addressed some of their some of their biggest weaknesses at least with the signing of A Bear or are you a little bit worried about where the ro- roster's at right now?
2: I don't think I'm that worried. I do feel like signing a probably addressed the biggest issue they ran into last season. Um, you know, I think the injuries to Joao Paulo in particular and Obed Vargas played a pretty significant factor in where the team ended last season, but the lack of real scoring from strikers not named Raul Ruiz Diaz was arguably a bigger issue in league play. Um, I think that had cascading effects throughout the rest of the attack. But getting someone who, at his peak, was you know, I don't think he won it, but was like in contention for a golden boot, and even in less productive seasons when he's been able to stay healthy, he's still a, you know, double digit goal scorer, potentially Um, provides a huge boost to the Sounders attack. And I've said before, I think gives them the ability to lean on Raul a little bit less. I'm sure some of him playing through injuries is a Raul thing and what he wants to do, but, Having a bear gives them a little bit more flexibility in terms of how many minutes Rui Diaz has to play. And hopefully that means they can keep both of those guys healthier and get a little bit more out of the wingers, whether that's Jordan Morris or Christian Roldan, um, maybe Leo Chu, whoever else might play in that spot. I think that signing is going to be a really big impact on this season.
1: Yeah, so Dave, kind of looking at with where this attack is at now compared to where it was, maybe let's say at its peak when they lifted the CCL trophy last May. You're you're effectively trading out a bear for, or excuse me, you're effectively trading out Bruin for a bear, and maybe a little bit older of uh, Freddie Montero, and then maybe there's a little bit more question marks around Raul Ruiz's fitness. How comfortable are you are with that? And do you think like, if you're kind of looking out at the attack as a whole, including the wingers and the attacking midfielders, how are you,
3: what's your sort of assessment? I think the, the biggest need from the attack is to get one of the young players to contribute. And I, I mean, I'd prefer it to be Leo Q because they paid money for him and being able to transfer him would open up that spot to somebody um, more consistent. But even if it's a Dylan Tevas or an Ethan Air, or whatever happens with Reed Baker Whiting, um, they need somebody to contribute so that Brian Schmetzer isn't just rotating the same... year olds So it isn't just... <laughs> the same four guys for three spots. Um, You know, they're going to play. I've called it a a minimally viable season would be like 42 games. That's with some advancement in various tournaments. And if they're going to play that much, uh, it can't be three 30 year old forwards. um, Plus Nico Lederer plus 30 plus year old Nico. Um, they just got to find rotation. So in the attack, I, I want to see one of those youth take a step forward. And we haven't really seen a young attacker take steps forward since like 2010 Zach Awani and my Jordan Morris. I mean, he, he pretty much stepped on and immediately yeah. succeeded. Um, 12 goals in a rookie year is great. Um, so Cool. Uh, I mean,
1: Jeremiah, do you have anything to add about how comfortable you are with the attack? Is there any? I mean, I, yeah, I I do a little bit. I I think it's maybe been
0: a little underappreciated just how significant of addition Nebar is. Uh, he's not the flashiest signing, but you know, you alluded to him being one of the best, or maybe it was Tim that alluded to him being one of the best scorers hmm. in 2019. He was he was actually fourth in MLS in, in goals per ninety. Ah, uh, the the players who were ahead of him were like Zlatan, uh, Carlos Vela, and Joseph Martinez, who put up three of the best scoring seasons in MLS history that year. Uh, so, you know, he that was his, you know, that was his breakout. That was when he came to MLS. Uh, I think you could maybe argue that he's been one of the most, maybe the most successful TAM signing in league history. Uh, and then he 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 started slow in 2020. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on that year. He got hurt. He missed a lot of 2021 with that same injury, uh, but he came back last year and he was he was really good. I I don't again I don't know if people are really appreciating just how good he was. Uh, he was a, a top 20, top 10 player uh, in terms of goals per 90. Again, at least among players who had played at least a uh, thousand minutes. So he was, you know, I think at the very least, what we can expect is that. He the drop off between when Raul Rui Diaz starts and when uh, the bat when he doesn't start shouldn't be as big. Uh, that's like the baseline expectation. And if he can actually pair up with Rui Diaz in some two forward sets, you know, right there. I mean, I think that was the biggest to me. That was the biggest challenge in the offseason was finding someone that uh, can sort of spell Rui Diaz. And they were able to find someone without really breaking the bank. Yeah, he he makes a decent amount of money. Uh, but they didn't have to give up a ton of allocation to get him, and he's under. You know, they potentially have him for two more years. He's 31 years old. I was surprised. You know, I don't know how much of this comes across when you watch him play, but seeing him up close, he's actually a bigger guy than I had initially assumed. Uh, you know, he's he's a solid. You know, six feet tall, and he's actually pretty solidly built too. So I don't. I think he might actually provide a little bit more in terms of physicality than. Uh, the Sounders have gotten out of uh, you know Rui Diaz is not exactly a physical specimen, um, and he's you know and, and he, not physically imposing. I should say he's he's in good shape, but he's not uh, he's not a big man. And it's and one Heber, of the interesting
3: things about Avera is, <laughs> is that uh, he's very much like Raul in that most of his goal scoring comes because people forget where he is, and he's able to get little six and seven yard shots in tight spaces. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of notable as well that Hebert's, uh top five comps include, even with the injury, include Raul Rui Diaz and uh, Chicharito. Yeah. So you're you're talking about um, a bench player whose whose comps are two of the best goal scorers in the league. So we haven't really had that. <laughs> so that's going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, I
0: think you can definitely argue he's the most accomplished. Uh, backup for the Sounders have had maybe ever, I mean, Will Bruin came in and he w- went in 2017 uh, he, he was he had a decent res. he obviously had a, a pretty good resume at that point point. Um, and he, he's been he had a couple of uh, really good years actually uh, but I do think this will be a, a step up and uh, in terms of what we can expect from him in terms of production and uh, I do feel pretty good, I think there's like maybe we'll get into this later, but like left back is, is there's definitely room for being concerned about the left back position. But I I think that is potentially a little bit more of a champagne problem than, you know, back up forward pretty core to what you're, what you need to do.
1: Yeah. And kind of like the last thing on him is the role that he played for most of last season for NYCFC is basically identical to, what well, we should expect him to play for the Sounders, hopefully. Yeah. Yep. in that they had this like MVP quality forward for most of the season in uh, Tati Castellanos before they transferred him off to Spain. Um, and then they did like some weird stuff with forward after that. But as you can kind of see with the offseason, season NYCFC was having, you know, maybe they weren't completely stoked with anything. Um, but yeah. So, I'm pretty hopeful about it. I I think like I I guess I'm sympathetic to like, <clears throat> uh, you know, wanting maybe somebody who was at the World Cup or kind of like a younger international signing, um, but it just doesn't seem like that was in the cards, and that's fine. And 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 in terms of like what you can get for a backup forward, you probably can't get better in terms of like a per minute production than this guy. So yeah, that's and it's, great. And I think it's worth it's
0: worth noting that the Sounders did they 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 took their shot. You know they they uh, Craig Weibel has effectively confirmed that Shudo Machino was the player they were targeting uh, from the J- J- Japanese World Cup team, and basically they they had a budget though, and and that budget wasn't dictated by what they were willing to spend. It was dictated by what the salary cap would allow, and as long as they could get him on a tam contract, he was a player they were really interested in, but he apparently decided that uh, after playing for Japan at the world cup, that maybe uh, taking, you know, like, I don't know if it was him or if it was the team, but you know, they could have maybe afforded to spend something like $3 million on a transfer and paid him another, you know, uh, 750 or something like that. And just those numbers weren't going to work once he, he played in the world cup.
1: Yeah. So kind of moving back a line here, uh, from the attack, uh, maybe the biggest story of the offseason for the Sounders, at least in, in terms of looking at what the difference between 2023 and 2022 is going to be, is uh, the Sounders have a healthy midfield. Uh, Jao Paulo and Obed Vargas have come into uh, come into preseason training camp with absolutely no restrictions, right, Jeremiah? In terms of like health and fitness and whatnot, they're not restricted.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's tricky to say this early in preseason yeah. because it's 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 you know like they are kind of limiting, Jao uh, Paulo a little bit. Like he's being played as a neutral. I don't I don't know that he's like going all all in, but he's he's doing all the stuff you would want a player to be doing early in preseason. Uh, today, Schmetzer actually said he was Jao Paulo was probably a little ahead of schedule. Uh, Obed Vargas has basically been all in though you know he was out they were doing some 11v11 drills today and Vargas was a full participant in that uh, so I, I my expectation is that both will be available and I wouldn't be at all shocked if if Jao Paulo starting the club world cup game cool
1: yeah I mean that's great I mean that's I felt like that was the biggest problem last season was we had some guys playing midfield every week and now we might have the best starting front six in the league that's the type of difference that we're talking about here. And, uh, listeners may or may not appreciate this. May or may not appreciate the kind of the extra time radio guys or MLS soccer guys, but Matt Doyle, uh, I, like Matt Doyle a lot, and he says Chao Paulo is like an MVP caliber defensive midfielder, which uh, defensive midfielders never won MVP in MLS. So uh, that's the type of player that we're getting. He, like he thinks that Chao Paulo is like might be the best player in the league, type of thing. Um, Tim, how do you feel about the midfield, um, or do you kind of not think about the midfield because everybody's healthy?
2: <laughs> I. I guess it's a bit of both. I don't, I don't worry about the midfield with Joao Paulo seemingly back in time for games to start. I think about it a lot because injured or not, I think about Joao Paulo a lot because he's a really good soccer player and just seems like a cool guy. Uh, but yeah. To, you know, to your point, like Matt Doyle has said in his uh, most recent piece, getting Rob Palo back is a big deal because prior to his injury, he was a legitimate contender for MVP. He makes every other player on the field substantially better, I think. Um, he is one of those, I think Garth Lagerway used to refer to him as a uh, force multiplier for the team, um, his ability to do so many things so well and to do several things that there's just not anyone else in that midfield group that really excels at. Um, his his ability to tackle and dribble immediately off of the tackle, his distribution is good. The way he reads the game is great. Um, getting him back is such, a boon for this Sounders team. Um, I think there were a number of things that we complained about last year. I think, you know, the predictability of the Sounders in possession with Nuhu on the field, that if they passed to Nuhu, he was almost certainly going to pass laterally or backwards, which made pressing triggers really easy for opponents. When you have Joel Paolo there, even if the pass is a lateral one, if it's to Joao Paulo, it's much harder to take the ball off of him than one of the guys who played in his spot. Um, I think the, the thing to be determined is who plays alongside him. Do they go back to Joao Paulo and Albert Rusnak? Because that's a really fun option. Uh, does Christian Roldan drop back there? Beyond those two options, really, you know, Obed Vargas coming back, you also have now a wealth of other young Academy and Tacoma Defiance developed players, So Kitahara, Josh Atencio, Danny Leva, Reed Baker Whiting, um, Ethan Dobler, all are guys who have played, you know, not necessarily with the Sounders, but in professional games have played in those spots. Um, Seems like the area where we're most likely to see somebody move, whether that's on loan or permanently, but even, you know, Reed Baker Whiting and Ethan Dobler probably aren't going to be center mids with the Sounders. Um, Baker Whiting seems like, you know, the U.S. youth national teams and Presumably, SC Freiburg saw him as a right-back option um, with the U. See with U. Nineteens right now. Um, he's listed as a defender. Uh, Ethan Dobelair played mostly as a winger with the Sounders last year when he got minutes, and I think looked pretty good after he came back from his loan and injury in 2021. Um, so you still have. Four guys for two backup spots, effectively in the midfield. Um, there has been talk or rumors, at least, of both Danny Leva going on loan or transfer with Liga MX clubs interested, and apparently some interest from Europe. So Takita Hara seems like a good option for a loan again. Um, he played primarily as a right back when he and Alfonso Campo Chavez went on loan to. The Austrian third division, I think it was. So yeah. he, you know, might not be a center mid with the Sounders either. He might be playing for a a spot as a backup fullback. But I think that that midfield group is pretty
1: exciting, and it's definitely an area to watch. Dave, I don't think there's a bigger Obed Vargas fan in the world, uh, so I'm not really going to ask you a question about him. I'm just going to say. Uh, you can now talk about Obed
3: Vargas if you want <laughs> uh, it, it's okay um, I'm pretty stoked because he went from like at most a fringe defiance player to oh my goodness we have a starting caliber 16 year old um and yeah the injury sucks but that that's just an explosion onto the scene um and steps up that are unusual uh. I'm going to be fascinated because I think that uh, whereas Danny Leyva, um looks most comfortable going forward and um, in some cases attempting to be a 10 and Josh Atencio could be a center back to me, Obed is the most Jao Paulo like of the young players. Um, plus, I just I get a kick out of it. Uh, 16, 17 year old now, 17 year old who. Um, will tackle as if the opponent's age and status doesn't matter. Obed doesn't seem to care about, um, the significance of the, his opponents. And that's kind of rare. Um, just a, just an extraordinary fighter. Um, and for me, he's the guy right now on the list. If I had to put him in order of who would get the top transfer fee, it would be him. But, um, when you have an under 18 year old who missed half a season with an injury uh in some ways that's good for the Sounders cuz that means they can play him for probably a full year before teams inquire about his availability
1: yeah so i think i think tim kind of raised an interesting uh conversation point about what the <clears throat> what the um, kind of the best midfield situation is I'll, I'll go to Jeremiah with this one first, and then we can kind of maybe go around the clock here. Um, it seemed like the plan at the beginning of last year was to have a front six of Jao Paulo as maybe the deepest midfielder, uh, Albert Rusnak next to him, Nikol Sodero at a 10, Christian and Jordan on the wings, and then obviously Raul rodias Diaz uh, at the nine. Uh, I think we only ever actually saw that in the first leg of the final. Is that the CCL final? Is that right, Jeremiah? I think you wrote something ridiculous like that.
0: Uh, It was, they, they, I think they, they played together in, wait. uh, Yeah, they played a a, a few times. The only time, the only time the Sounders were able to field like their best 11 was uh, the two final the two Champions League finals. So
1: with that in mind, and then also within mind, um, some of the midfield struggles that uh, I don't think Albert Rusnak is blameless for over the course of the season. Uh, Obviously, we had the injuries and whatnot. What do you think is kind of maybe the best midfield? And also, if it differs, what do you think the midfield will see maybe start the Club World Cup?
0: I mean, I I tend to think the highest upside still, or at least the highest upside in, in early on, until proven otherwise, is probably a Rusnak Jao Paulo midfield. Uh, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. How many times they played together? But I know one of their best perform, one of the Sounders' best performances pre uh, World Cup or pre, pre- Champions League was the game again, the road game against uh, Minnesota. And that was another game where they started together in the midfield. And so until proven otherwise, I, I feel like that's probably the best bet. Now, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's, it's banking too much on both of them being healthy and, and, and who knows, maybe there's a a better, you know, like the, the automatically second best pairing might not be one of those guys with the next best person. Like maybe it's a different pairing altogether, but yeah, I mean, I I still think that Joe Paolo and, and Albert Rusnak potentially give you, you know, the best midfield pairing in the league,
1: frankly. Uh, Tim or Dave are either of you convinced that maybe Rusnak should be played up a line and it should be Nico playing deeper.
3: Nope, I, I'm not convinced of it. I love the idea <laughs> theoretically, but I just don't think you're going to convince Nico to do it. Um, okay, and they, the closest we'd see to that is some kind of we'll call it a four-one-four-one, just because, um, or some people I think that's the inverted um, midfield. But if Gal was a, a solo six with Nico and or with Nico and Albert being mm-hmm. basically two eights. You could probably get away with that. But at the same time, figuring out what position Nico is in is is kind of fruitless. He, even last year in his down season, covered more ground than but like six guys in the league or something like that. Um, Oddly enough, I think uh, every sounder, most of the sounders that have played defensive mid for more than a season with the club also are in the top 20. Uh, Obed was in the top 10. When he was playing, when Josh Atencio was starting, he was covering top 10 ground. Danny Leva was top 10 ground. Cal Paula was top 10 ground. Uh, maybe that's just the expectation is if you're a Sounders central midfielder, 6, 8, or 10, you're expected to cover everything between the sixes. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I think the as much as I like the idea of sort of switching those two in that 4231 formation that we all know so well. the the cell for Nico might be tougher. Maybe the the arrangement that makes more sense is a a little bit more fluid, effectively 433 3, where a trio of Russnack, Uh, Ladero and Joao Paulo sits in that midfield with JP sitting a little bit deeper and effectively Rusnak and Ladero playing as sort of creative eights. Um, But I, you know, that's all kind of semantics uh, when the more important thing is how guys play in the roles they're put in.
1: you yeah. know, well, who knows? We'll see. Anything else to come add to, on the midfield before we talk about my favorite
3: areas? Of come to the bridge? come to the Sounder Heart podcast where who knows? We'll see.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> I I will. So I, I was able to do some quick research. The JP and and uh, and Rusnak started six times together. It was uh, the four final legs of the Champions League, and then they the Minnesota game, and then the other one a little bit of a throwaway was that game in San Jose that they, uh, blew two, two goal leads, which maybe I do the think... most frustrating
1: result. of the Yeah, season. <laughs> probably the, the
0: most, exactly the most frustrating result of the season. But, uh, so I don't know. I don't know how much you can take away from that, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'll, I'll go back. I don't know that it's a slam dunk. Like I could be, I could be convinced that maybe Nico, uh, could play that role alongside Joe Paolo, but,
1: or a different like it's a just a fundamentally different role if there's two forwards playing up top. Right, right. Baron Rout exactly. Rout exactly. Team. Uh I'm interested. I'm personally interested in seeing Nico play a little bit deeper, but like Dave, I don't know if it's gonna happen. Um or it doesn't even really necessarily matter where Nico lines up on a formation sheet because he's gonna play wherever he wants to play. Uh so with the midfield kind of uh, with obvious question marks around, like, how do people respond uh, in terms of do they come back healthy or not? I, th- I feel like it's it's worthwhile to talk about the defense, which went from um, one of the best defenses in the league in 2021 to being as healthy and having primarily the same personnel in 2022 and becoming pretty bad. Uh, over the course of the season. Um, We've done a ton of conversation about why that happened. Uh, It probably didn't help that there were two different starting central midfielders in front of them every week. It probably didn't help that the Sounders couldn't score a goal. It probably couldn't help that a lot of the times a a 1-0 deficit was uh, insurmountable. But um, we're coming into the third year of um, three of the four Defenders being the same. We have Nuhu starting at left back. We have uh, uh, Ariaga starting at the left center back. We have Yamar starting at the right center back, and then Alex Roldan, who will be in his third full year, probably starting at right back. Um, with one of the bigger, one of the kind of the bigger off storylines this offseason, Jeremiah being that they did not sign Aaron Long. Does that indicate that the team was? Wanting to do something differently here? Is that indicating that the team wasn't necessarily as comfortable as a lot of Sounders fans are with their backline? Or was that just an opportunity to add a quality player? I, I think that's gonna like I, I don't know
0: that we can say definitively right now. I think we'll we'll have a, a better sense soon. Uh and my read on it right now is just that this was an opportunity to sign to get a player the coaching staff and the front office staff has really liked and I think they've probably regretted uh, letting go of Aaron Long all those years ago Uh, you know people of listeners to this show probably know that he was signed to the first team in 2014 and he uh, played on that inaugural S2 team in 2015 and and I mean I don't know he definitely wasn't the player that he is now but I, I think the Sounders liked him then and he just had a you know he had a he got a better opportunity uh to go to the New York Red Bulls and they their system really fit his skill set best but i think the Sounders mostly saw a player that they were just really liked and they wanted to bring back and it wasn't necessarily anything more than that um and they may they were i think they would have probably had to get rid of someone like Javier Arriaga to make room for him they still might do that but i'm not I, i'm not in, necessarily expecting a full-blown makeover, but who knows? I mean, I it could certainly happen.
1: Uh Dave, do you think that
3: they'll be better this year or do you have concerns? I think the defense will be better for the the thing I think you listed first in that the defensive midfield will be better. And that always helps like there was an MVP candidate, a defensive midfield in in 2021 and the defense looked good and then there wasn't and they were also and, playing a different didn't. formation um the, the different formation might have helped as well you get sle- you get better contributions from new who there were um when we go into those uh odd man back sets but it's basically the same guys um and they're allowed a down year but it's also the defense and um Three or four of them don't really get forward very much. And so the age doesn't matter as much. Like center backs peak um, later than anyone but a keeper. So um, they should, uh, I, I, to borrow from analytics, they should regress to the mean. And regression to the mean probably means they give up five less goals just be by regressing. And, or or they, I'd say they to, progress to the mean. <laughs> yeah. And then getting Zhao Paulo. Having it, let's say if the top three defensive mids are Jao Paulo, Albert and Obed, uh, that's going to be better than last year. Um, so maybe it's 10 less goals given up, which would put them in line with their good but not great defensive seasons.
1: Uh, cool. I mean, I, I know, Tim, you're kind of chomping up the bit here, which is why I saved you for last, because I, I know you <laughs> have a lot to say here. Yeah. Um, What do you, uh, just go ahead. I don't even need to ask you (laughs) the (laughs) question. Well, I, I, one of the
2: weird things, and I was looking at this a couple weeks ago for a piece, but the, the Sounders defense was not good in 2022. I think pretty much all of the players that we've come to expect pretty good things from were, less good than they have been. I think Ariaga, in particular, even the things that he has previously been good or should be good at, he was bad at. And the things that he struggled with, he was worse at. Jamar had for sure a down year. Nuhu Who was frustrating at times. Alex Roldan didn't have as good of a year as we've come to expect from him. And they still were not as bad relative to the rest of the conference um they really the big struggle was scoring goals they're i think one team scored fewer goals than them that went to the playoffs they were better than top half in goals allowed in the western conference um which doesn't mean that they were good necessarily might just mean that other defenses were worse Um, uh, but i I do feel to a certain extent, like probably can't get worse than they did in 2022. And I'll knock on wood, but um, it seems unlikely that we're going to really see big changes on that backline. Real offers for new who have never really materialized and certainly not at the same rate that rumors crop up Javi and Jamar you know their age and salary and what the Sounders put out to get them makes it really difficult for either of them to be moved in a way that is beneficial to the Sounders unless something outrageous happens um I think with Javi in particular, the fact that he didn't see the field at the World Cup certainly didn't help on that front, I don't think. Uh, so whether you like it or not, this is the back line. Um, they might make additions at depth spots there, but this is what it is. And I, you know, I think you kind of have to trust that the Sounders are going to be able to get more out of them for all of the reasons that... Have been mentioned so far the the presence of Joao Paulo a hopefully better scoring team um, all of that helps the defense makes their jobs easier. Um, yeah, you you just have to trust that the team and the staff are gonna find solutions to those issues. Um, I think you know we've seen like with Nuhu. The way he plays with Cameroon is not the same way that he tends to play with the Sounders, uh, whether that's a coaching thing or that, you know, when you go to the World Cup, you take a different approach. But um, I think getting Nuhu to play more to his strengths and less to try to score a goal would be really beneficial to how the backline plays. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think there's every reason to think they should do better than they did in 2022.
1: Yeah. One thing that can't get much worse in 22. One thing that just can't get much worse overall from last season was like the game states that the Sounders defense found themselves in. Uh, And so while I am probably one of the, one of their more harshest critics i will kind of give them that benefit of the doubt that they just had some real hard lines all season and yes i think aryaga made too many mistakes i thought yaymar kind of fell off a little bit i thought the outside backs could have created a lot more so on and so forth but i think you should be able to expect that that was hopefully different in 2023 uh this season Jeremiah, you described the depth at the fullback positions as champagne problems a couple of minutes ago. Uh if New Who or Alex Roldan go down with the season ending injury, do you still feel that way? Well, I mean, I guess on the list of like things, if you're worried about
0: anything on your roster, <laughs> being worried about the depth at fullback is probably like the like I'd be much I think you're much more likely to have a problem if you don't like your depth at forward or you don't like your depth at central midfield. And so like on the list of things that are (laughs) uh, problems, I think depth at at the the fullback is, you know, like a a higher class problem. But you're right. Like if you end up having to use it, it's still a problem. And, And the Sounders don't have great depth at any fullback position right now, at least not proven depth. You know, Kellen Rowe, I think, uh, in a spot, can can fill in fine, probably at either position. But I think the uh, the goal really needs to be to get one of these young guys to to step in and be a primary backup at, at hopefully one of at least one of these two positions. Uh, you know, Ethan Dobelair is a good candidate. I think I would say uh, Reed Baker Whiting uh, shows some potential to be a quality backup there. Ah, uh, they also have a have someone in camp that is. Uh, they have Schmitt. one. Yes, H. Uh, yes Yes, uh, he is from RSL. He played left back. He apparently used to be a forward at some point in his career, but now he's. Last year, he he uh, played fourteen games. All of them were either as a as a left wing back or a left back, and uh, and so he's in camp right now. He's the one veteran trialist that they have. So uh, they are. You know, I don't. I don't know how much of an upside move that is, but it's you know, it's something they're clearly aware of that they need to they need to bolster that position. I
3: think. And, and Jeremiah mentioned that the the youth needed to step up, but none of them are left backs. Like they right, that have is a problem. Left, left. <laughs> yeah. uh, Even Reed Baker Whiting, who has played all of one game there for the youth national team, is still right footed and pretty heavily right footed, which you tend not to want. For a left back, particularly in an org that wants their their fullbacks to play almost like wingbacks,
0: and I, uh, I guess the other, the I should add the other the other option that I guess Travion Sousa played left back too for the Defiance, and he's, he's yeah, been, I, I think he played
3: left back like Jimmy Madronda did, where almost every appearance was at right wing, um, and which was clearly not something that Brian Spencer is well, interested in using as a left well, back but my my point being there is that he was listed as a left back but then never really played there okay Um, enough. you know it said um which explains why tate schmidt is there who i don't think was there saturday when we got rained on heavily and um craig weibel was like if you can if you guys know of a left back that's available or something to that effect um because he said he was still shopping for that um it makes a lot of sense uh some of they them. don't they've given up on um every young player that could play left back. And all of them just you know, to to be frank, I I like a lot of those young guys that played left back for Defiance, but they're basically just starters for USL championship teams. They're not they don't look like they're rotational MLS talent. Um Nick Hines, Alex Villanueva, Israel. Oh, okay, uh yeah, so... I thought you were talking no about some back. of the guys on the roster now, and I was like, ah... Uh. No, no. Anyways. <laughs> Joe Hafferty is probably the most accomplished left-back um, in in defiance, and uh, they play him at right-back. Uh,
1: some of the best left-backs in the world did not start playing left-back because left-back and right-back are not defensive positions. If you'd like to know more on that, you can join my cult after this episode. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, I do kind of want like we've done kind of the big overview on the roster, we've gone through every line. Uh, Stefan Fry is going to be the starting goalkeeper. I presume all of us feel great about that until he decides to retire, whenever that is in six or seven years, probably. Um, uh, although he did let in more uh, shots from outside of the box last year than uh ever, which <laughs> kind of sucks, but hopefully, again, although his- that ha- his, his advanced metrics were still very good yeah, but again, I'm gonna chalk that up to a defensive midfield issue and not worry about it. That's basically what I was gonna say because um, when shots are coming in from 20 yards away that's about where on the field you wants some midfielders to be and we didn't have a lot of that last season <laughs> um cool. all right, so <clears throat> we got a couple minutes left here maybe five five or so six six minutes um I kind of want each of you to pick a guy that's going to have like either they're sort of um, a guy that's going to like make it or break it. You, you either decide like you want to talk about a guy you think is going to make it this season and kind of maybe take a step into a role, a bigger role than he had last season or a guy who uh, it's maybe after the season, it's time for the Sadders to give up on Uh, Tim. Why don't you start? I, I
2: don't really. Feel like it's necessarily a make it or break it season, but I feel really confident right. that it's going to be a make it season for Josh Atencio. Um, I I think the other young guys around him that are not Obed Varga or uh, yeah Obed Vargas are the more likely players to get a a loan or a transfer. He seemed of the two of him and Danny Leva the the one that the club was more hesitant to use and this is just in my recollection um down the stretch last year but once they started playing the two of them together more often and using Josh things didn't necessarily like that that didn't turn the ship around cuz the ship was already pretty Heavily headed in the direction it went, but I thought he showed well. Uh, you know, he came onto the scene really strong and got waylaid by injury. I think after a season where he came through healthy, getting through preseason and feeling like he has a chance at really winning that sort of fourth center mid spot. Um, I think he's going to I think he's going to impress people again, I think. You know, it's not going to be the same kind of explosion that he had in 2021 or that Obed had last year, but I think he's going to remind people why he has been in and around the organization for as long as he has and I think he's going to be a good player for the future.
1: Jeremiah, I think you may have an interesting answer to this question.
0: Yeah, I'm, you know, I I am a believer. I remain a believer in Jordan Morris's potential to be a just a like a legit star. Uh I I think that his last year was definitely disappointing, especially the way it ended, but I think it's also it it also overshadowed what was a pretty good start to last year and I I tend to think that just the pressures of like his mind being in multiple places, I think Making the World Cup team was became like a a big big focus, understandably, and I suppose you could say this the same thing about Christian Roldan. But um, I'm really expecting a big year out of out of Morris. I, I think a lot of people forget that this was an MVP candidate in 2020 uh, before his his second ACL injury. Literally a
1: finalist, he was in the final five.
0: Right. I mean, he he was among the best players in MLS that year. I think that that is much closer to his. What the, what the expectation for him should be. Um, we, I was, I was kind of weirded out at how many people were ready, like itching almost to move on from him this last offseason. And uh, not surprisingly, the Sounders weren't really hearing any of that, and they seemed to have uh, signed him to a, a long-term extension or at least some sort of extension. So I, I'm looking for a Jordan Morris bounce back. I, I'll add that his
1: his XG numbers were actually very good. Like and and goals at uh, goals added, which is a stat that uh, American soccer analysis produces, loves Jordan Morris. He he's like top of the league, top five in the league and, and goals added, which is cool. Uh, I love Jordan Morris. Uh, didn't mean to cut you off, Jeremiah. Did you have anything else to add? Uh, <clears throat> all right. So Dave, uh, drumroll, uh, round us out here with your kind of make it or break it player. For
3: this. Oh, I I, I kind of changed my mind. Um I was All gonna right. I was gonna cover uh the, the left back but it, um I don't want to anymore um uh, okay. based off of this conversation. Um w- the player I want to key on is Albert Rusnak. Because um he uh used to be an extraordinarily strong attacking talent and we didn't see that. And it would be very nice if we got that, but he's going to play as an eight. If he's going to play as an eight, I'm going to bring up a former sounder, um, but not as a time with the sounder, Shalry uh, Joseph, who showed in that eight with, if you put up seven and seven and you're on a team that's in like contention for a conference title, you can be an MVP candidate. You should certainly be a best 11. And Albert Rusnak was on the fringes of those best 11 conversations not too long ago. And if he gets the touches and is more effective in the final third this year, and again, puts in six to 10 goals, six to 10 assists. um, We're looking at the Seattle Sounders as a contender uh, for trophies. So it's not a make or break in that they're going to move on from him, but, it's kind of a make or break as in he will establish his um, level with this organization. Because I think right now there's this perception that the biggest free agent signing in the history of the league wasn't all that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And I'd kind of like it over the history of his contract for it to actually be a big deal. Cause right yeah, now I feel cool. like he's the like seventh most important guy on the team.
1: That would be cool.
3: and. To
1: your point, uh, Nicholas Nicolas is entering the last year of his contract in a year that he turns 33 years of age. And uh, a lot of people seem to think that, or a lot of people within the organization, I should say, seem to think that that Albert Rusnock's signing was precursor to Nicholas Sodero's departure. Uh, or a kind of an heir apparent to that role. So we'll, we'll see if that happens this season, as Dave <clears throat> alluded to. Well, uh, that's all the time we have for the Sounder at Heart podcast. I've been Mark, that's Jeremiah, Tim, Dave. Uh, We are recording exactly three weeks to the day from when the Club World Cup starts. That's in three weeks, which is uh, hard for some of us to understand. So um, we're hitting the ground running, thick and fast, all those sayings that you want to say, cooking with gas, even though you're not allowed to do that anymore. Anyways, thanks for listening.